Welcome to the JPR Group Podcast, brought to you by the JPR Group of Baird Private Wealth Management. We're dedicated to bringing our clients, colleagues, and centers of influence the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and information to keep you informed and confident. Also, listen in on conversations with industry leaders and interesting people from around the country that are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the JPR Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the PR Podcast. Uh, I'd like to call this edition more of a special uh, podcast because we have on the line with us Mr. Mark Eibel. Mark is the Director of Client Investment Strategies for Russell Investments. Uh, In Mark's role, he implements model strategies into client portfolios and helps set strategic asset allocation targets. Mark also serves as a principal spokesman for Russell Investments, investment process, and frequently speaks to clients, industry conferences, and the media. Mark's also a frequent guest on television and radio networks such as CNN, Bloomberg TV, and Bloomberg Radio. Mark is also a very special friend of our teams along uh, with a, a great partner at Russell Investments. Uh, with all that said, welcome, Mark. Thank you very much for the kind intro. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, once again, uh, I think of this one as a special edition. Um, always like to hear, obviously, what what Russell Investments thoughts are, and and more importantly, what what Mark Eibel is is thinking. So we'll jump right into it, and and. We'll kind of bounce back and forth, but really the, the thing that I wanted to talk to you about and for you to share with our listeners is really interest rates, all the chatter around that, and then the current inflation readings that we've had year over year. So uh, if that sounds good to you, we'll, we'll talk about that for 15 minutes. Let's do it. Sounds great. All right. Well, let's, let's just start be- at the beginning, and you know, can you unpack all the recent chatter around interest rates from um, you know four rates to five? I've even heard seven different basis point increases. Just give the viewers a sense of what the Fed is is most likely trying to do here. Right. I think it's important to remember what the Fed's job is. The Fed really has two priorities that they're trying to work on. It's, it's, it's unemployment and, and it's inflation. Now it's, it's an interesting job description because sometimes you can't accomplish one without almost hurting the other one, right? But what they're trying to do is find that sweet spot, that spot between where uh, employment, unemployment is as low as you can kind of get it without really sparking inflation, right? I mean, so in this most recent episode, I mean, we're, we're around 4%, a little bit less on unemployment. That's a trigger for the Fed. They said it pretty much all along. When we reached 4%, now we got there quicker, I think, post-COVID than, than even the Fed thought. Uh, they were going to look to start to start raising interest rates. So it's really the unemployment rate which triggered rate increases. Now, of course, with what inflation has done, moving from about one to one and a half percent year over year to seven and a half percent in the latest CPI reading, that's kind of taken over the story uh, of of why the of how quickly the Fed might increase rates. And you're right, uh, as of Labor Day last year, the market was pricing in zero rate hikes. Now. 
we're at about six. And there's all sorts of debate between whether it'll be four or some of, as you said, seven or eight. I'm not sure the Fed even knows at this point, because at this point, it really is the inflation numbers that will be coming out um, monthly on what might drive the pace with which they'll do it. So they're very data dependent on this, but they have, you know, finally, you know, they are going to raise rates this year. It'll be the first time since really the period from uh, 2015 through 2018 that the Fed has raised rates. Uh, for the last 15 years, it's been more of the opposite, right? So any news of the Fed changing policy is a big deal to the markets. And I think that's why you're seeing this volatility. But it's really this trade-off between unemployment and inflation, which determines what the Fed policy will be. Um, and we're certainly seeing that in the news today. Let's get to the next question. Um, so around your interest rates and inflation, you know, there's many out there that would assume as soon as they turn the interest rate dial up, the inflation dial falls down. And can you explain to the viewers how that can be a, a lagging time period before we get back to a normalized um, inflation reading? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And there is, whether it's, you know, fiscal kind of government spending or monetary policy, there's always a lag uh, with, with either uh, source of, of kind of policy. And I, it's just, it's almost more of the action happens beforehand. And the Fed, that's part of their job is they don't really want to surprise the market too much when they're raising interest rates. Now, when the market, when, when things are going bad, you know, COVID hits, 2008 hits, when the, when the, when the Fed's trying to shock the market, uh, kind of revive the patient, so to speak, usually when you're bringing rates down, you might do them quicker and not as telegraphed. But when you're trying to reinstate a more normal policy, which is what they're trying to do now, it's more telegraphed. So there isn't too many uh, shocks to the system. But again, this is really the, the, the trade-off that the Fed is doing right now. And I think the inflation numbers will be a big driver. I think that I think what's going to be tough this year for the Fed and why, quite frankly, I'm not sure they know how many times they're going to raise rates. It's, we're in this range now, but uh, and they've, they've done a nice job of letting people know we're in this range, is they're literally going to be looking at every inflation number that comes out too and saying, okay, what's the next right thing to do? And since this inflation spike coincided exactly with COVID, shutting down the economy in 2020, starting the economy back up, not only here, but around the world. Uh, a lot of us getting you know, stimulus checks, people buying, spending it at the same time, not being comfortable buying services maybe because that took human interaction, but we're Americans, you gave us money and we're spending it on goods. It does seem to be pretty episodic. And so I think as the Fed looks forward in out a couple of years, uh, will we be looking back and going, okay, this was a blip and it's really good that we were measured because what we what their risk is, is they make a policy mistake, which is they're just off to the races raising rates. And then the economy slows down as it naturally will from these levels. Inflation does come down as our lives just get back to normal again. Uh, after COVID, supply chains open up and now they have to reverse decision again. So this is the source of volatility this year, I think, is really this trade-off between the Fed acting um, as it sees the inflation numbers uh, unfolding, uh, and will it be, we, we all think it'll be closer to 3% by the end of the year, but we just don't know, does it happen earlier in the year, later than the year, uh, a challenging year to be a central banker. But I think, again, as we all take a step back, this inflation episode hit all of a sudden, right when 
COVID and the, the program responses hit. I have to believe they're related. Uh, I think prudence and policy is well-suited. And if in a few years it's still at these levels, then you do more dramatic action. But this could be a problem that largely takes care of itself. I don't think we're going back to where we were with, with inflation being as low as it was, but it might settle into a nice range that the Fed is very comfortable with. Do you think it's, do you think the Fed is really shocked that inflation has got to this point? And what I mean by that is if you think about the stimulus that's been put into the economy the last few years, I'm not so sure that maybe not the 7% reading or whatever, but that economics 101 would dictate that's an inflationary type of action, correct? Yeah, I think what's surprising the Fed maybe is the level um, and maybe that it's taken a little bit longer than they thought for it to return back to normal. You know, it's hard to know if it's truly a monetary effect, as you, as you allude to. Remember, we put a lot of money into the system for a lot of years and we still had 1%. And then all of a sudden we go to 7 what changed? Yes, there was continued spending going on and, and, and putting money into the system, but what changed? COVID changed, right? So I, I think what people need to keep in mind is, and I was just uh, listening to, uh, to a different strategist this morning on this, there was, oh, we saved collectively as an economy a little over $2 trillion um, in, in 2020. Uh, a th- a, a half of that was just savings. We didn't spend much money, right? We we, we stayed home, we didn't drive, we didn't spend money on anything. And the other half of that, about a trillion or so, was when you add up all the programs, it actually was more money than was lost in wages by a pretty good amount. So there's this money that was saved in 2020. Everybody forgets that, right? We all focus, because we're human beings, we focus in on what things are costing us now as we turn the engine back on, so to speak, we kind of forget that we pocketed, in many cases, uh, money along the way. So some of this inflation is merely, we're spending money that we didn't spend in 2020. So, but I think back to your question about the Fed, again, it, this is the, like, the ultimate example of how long does it take to turn a ship around, right? We always use that saying on, it takes a longer than you think to change things. Well, how long does it take when you turn off the world's economy? and turn it back on again. And the Fed used this transitory language. And I think most people, maybe even the Fed, thought it would be six months or something. And I think it's going to take closer to a few years. So I think it's all on how you define transitory. But if you look, what's interesting is if you look at not just the the cash to maybe two-year maturity part of what we all call the yield curve or maturities and bonds, that's really what the Fed kind of controls. If you look out longer term, say say just pick the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond, it's at the same level it was in in August of 2019 when we had zero rate hikes uh, built in. So it hasn't moved as much. Uh, a lot of inflation indicators that are five years and longer haven't moved very much at all. So I think the market thinks this is a transitory event. It's just going to be a little bit longer definition of it, but it doesn't see it sticking around. And I think it's because, again, this is, seems to be directly related to the pandemic issue and things will normalize. They're just going to take a little bit longer. And I understand that that's not a big comfort to you after you fill up your tank or after you go to the store and it seems so real in your face. But again, take a step back, uh, look at this extraordinary experience starting in 2020 
what will it look like in 2023 maybe and moving forward? Will it all start normalizing out? And again, I think the Fed is just trying to buy time. I don't think it'll go 50, 50 basis points or half a percent in, in this meeting. That's that's a pretty drastic message. And the, I think the Fed will just want to go slow and steady um, and, and let it just kind of play out and see what hand it's been dealt, uh, say, in, in maybe six months or maybe closer to a year, a year from now. Excellent. Um, so on to the burning question is historically in rising interest rate environments, and I know each one of those periods has different uh, variables to it, but historically in those rising rate uh, time periods, what are the go-to or the asset classes or sub-act classes that have performed um, performed well in these periods of time? Yeah, equities in general and real assets. Um, and by real assets, that can be uh, REITs, infrastructure, commodity, or commodity-like securities. Uh, and equities, and usually non-US equities, uh, do just as well or better uh, because with, with some inflation and rising interest rates, um, that tends to usually be a little bit weaker for your currency. But, but to, in, in general, it's equities. And just think about because uh, you know, you can pass along companies can pass along uh, the, the increased cost to the consumer, right? So what we've seen in COVID as businesses got very efficient, they found ways to stay in business, right? Those efficiencies aren't gonna go away. So the efficiencies will remain for a time you can pass along the costs, whether it's, you know, a lot of times it's the wage increases, which will probably stay pretty sticky. Um, and that works as long as inflation doesn't stay elevated uh, at the levels that it's at. So we kind of look at 4% as this break point between higher inflation and lower inflation. And I know folks in the 70s and early 80s would laugh that that seems like a pretty low number, but we've had such a long period without uh, inflation really above two and a half percent. We kind of look at 4%. And I think so, and I think, and most people think that we'll at least get back below 4%. Again, we think we'll be more two and a half to 3% by the end of the year. A pretty nice backdrop for, for equities. And again, real assets, uh, doing well. And look at last year's markets, right? Equities and real assets did well. Fixed income struggles a little bit. And I think intuitively that makes sense because your coupon payment doesn't change. In equities, you can participate as a shareholder. Again, if costs get passed along, if, if, if margins can stay uh, pretty level uh, on earnings, but the coupon doesn't change. So any sort of inflation eats away at that coupon payment. So that asset class doesn't tend to do as well in an inflationary environment, but still continues to serve as that hedge of when equities don't perform well, you're glad you own something else, which, which uh, even though fixed income is negative so far this year, equities have done worse and you're glad you own something else. So yes, you have asset classes in your portfolio that cover for this. Again, it might not be a great comfort for you. I always think of the example uh, you know, when you when you leave the store or when you drive away and you paid more, you're not exactly thinking about what parts of your portfolio just benefited from your increased expenditure, right? We're all human beings and we feel that directly. But um, there are aspects important. In fact, you're covered for kind of inflationary environments as well as environments where inflation is lower. Uh, bonds like inflation being a little bit lower. So if it does come back down again, uh, that asset class might might hold up a little bit better. So. So the last question here, and I and I typically will ask this: Is there anything that we should be asking you, or anything that 
our listeners or clients should know that, you know, that Mark or Russell Investment currently is looking at or is concerned with or even, uh, you know, is positive about? Yeah, I, I don't, if inflation stays at these levels, it becomes, it becomes a problem for a lot of asset classes. Again, we just don't think that, that it will. Um, and we, we keep in mind as, as it relates to, to interest rates, uh, you know, you do get a little bit more coupon along the way too. So there is kind of a benefit of, of interest rates uh, moving up, but, uh, and there's worse things than interest rates moving up. Uh, it means employment, uh, you know, is doing well and unemployment is at 4%. And the, there's just more aggregate demand than supply right now. So I understand that it's easy to say, well, it's 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 all bad. Uh, it's it's not necessarily all bad. We think, and most people do, the Fed's going to get to two to two and two and a quarter percent interest rates. So think of eight or nine rate hikes. The question is whether it's more front end loaded or maybe over the next few years. But even that level, and try to think of it might not be the move. It's it's the level. Uh, that is still very accommodating, uh, particularly for, for equities. So, I mean, we're talking about moving from zero to two. Uh, it's just that we haven't had very much Fed movements it, uh, upwards. So it's almost the fear of the unknown. But as long as it's measured and over a period of time, it means the economy is getting better, that there is more demand out there than supply, uh, and, and unemployment is dropping. It, it, Think of the alternative. Uh, this this isn't you know the worst environment that, that we can have. Uh, I would diversify and buckle up. That's kind of my theme for the year. I just didn't realize it might play play so early uh, in January. Uh, Non-U.S. securities are doing better than U.S. securities. Value is starting to do a little bit more. Has been doing better than some of the growthier names, technology names. So having a diversified portfolio is certainly being is paying off. Uh, the volatility I think is going to become between this trade off between inflation and interest rates. Obviously, you've got Russia and Ukraine, probably a shorter term risk factor for the markets. But nonetheless, anytime war is talked about, uh, it's unsettling uh, for for markets. And of course, we know we have a midterm election. We'll probably talk a little bit more about that as we work throughout the year. So plenty of sources of volatility. Um, The volatility levels we've seen as of late, they might feel higher, but they're more normal. We all just got spoiled. Uh, we went through 21 months from March of 2020 until the end of last year where markets basically went up without very little volatility. And the volatility you had was to the upside. And nobody cares about volatility when they're making more money than they thought they might. So, But do expect more volatility, more modest returns from markets this year. And, and I'll just close with you know, the last few years, your portfolios have done fine while your life has been maybe turned upside down and stressful. Maybe this is the year that as the year moves along, your life feels a little bit calmer. I think that, you know, we, we're learning to live with COVID and it's not going away, but we're getting back to more of a normal life. So maybe our lives get a little bit more normal and the markets are a little bit more volatile. I think for most of us, we would probably take that trade off over, over what we've seen for the last few years. But uh, a fascinating year to, to see it play out. And uh, we'll talk about it on a periodic basis as we see it play out. Last but not least, stick with your plan, right? Uh, markets have done very well for those that have stuck with their plan for not only the last few years, but for, for many, many years. Uh, again, diversify, uh, you know, the unknown, you just don't know what'll happen, uh, but expect a little bit more volatility. That's, that's volatility. That's the buckle up part of the uh, forecast for this year. Excellent, Mark. Thank you again. Your, your insight along with Russell's partnership is invaluable to our team, has been for a very long time. 
Um, thank you again from our team to you for, for joining. It is special to have, have Mark on with us and provide that insight. Uh, if anybody has additional questions after they listen to this podcast, please reach out to uh, one of the team members and uh, we'll be able to get your questions answered for you. Thank you. Thanks everyone, be well. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast. You may visit our website at thejprgroup.com for more information about our team or like us on Facebook. If you'd like to speak to a financial advisor on our team, please contact our office at 270-467-9664. We hope to hear from you soon. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable sources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered by Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc., a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC.